This week, I welcome back previous guest, Suzanne Waldron, straight talking behavioral facilitator, TEDx Perth curator, and artist. This is a far ranging conversation, offering a number of perspectives on the world we now live in. Among the many things we go into are looking into the illusions of life that we're all, we've all been buying into. The need to slow the world the fuck down from the previous rush, need to know, constant doing and selling environment that we were in beforehand. The invitation to become more human and sit with that, shadow and all, deep diving into Cartman's drama triangle and how that plays out in life, particularly the role of victim and well-meaning helper in the capitalist context. Feeling into the collective experience that's going on as opposed to individual experiences and how currently we are at the apex of self-worship. Suzanne also talks about her recent book, Inner Giant, which provokes further discussion about resilience and accessing your own inner giant. This is a playful yet searching conversation, and at times it's difficult to work out just exactly who's interviewing who during it all. I personally found this a wonderfully nourishing conversation, and I'm sure you, the listener, will do too. So enjoy, Suzanne. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today we have the great pleasure of welcoming back Suzanne Waldron. Hello, Bryn. Hello, Suzanne. It's good to see you. Previously, episode 60, and today we're on 162. Really? Yes. Oh my goodness, you've had so many conversations since me. I have, That's I have. Fabulous. I hope you don't feel like I've been conversation cheating. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, it's over. Stop the, stop the recording. Stop We're the recording. Done. So for those who may have missed that episode 60, um, you are big into behavioural facilitation, particularly working with organisation and leaders. Also curator at TEDx and quite the artist as well. I know, that's all happened a yeah. bit more recently, yep. And the last time when we sat in the beautiful surroundings of, of Mellow House, um, we talked a lot about straight talking and compassionate honesty and stuff like that, which I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Indeed. So, um, what's been happening? Well, <laughs> the world just kind of did a thing. Yeah, and that's kind of why I would like why I thought, oh, it'd be great to chat to Susan again, because of your, because of the whole thing around straight talking and compassionate honesty. Um, I don't know, for me, it just feels like now more than ever, that's kind of what we need. And that's kind of what's sort of happening, but needs a little bit more help to come to fruition. Yeah. The thing I think, there's a step before it now that I've been playing around with and that is being able to see ourselves so we know what we're being honest about Mm. and I think COVID has been able to help people lift the lid on illusion a little bit but the thing is is that we don't know what we're looking at like we've lifted a lid on illusion say illusions under the pot and you open the pot up and they're like okay so that's illusion what the fuck is that (laughs) I don't even recognize what illusion is I don't even know how to do the criteria of what the illusion was yes and so we're lifting the lid on it but we don't actually know what it means to have been in an illusion um, but also what it means necessarily to see what we want or need for ourselves yeah. as, as a human race, let alone all of the societal stuff that wraps around that. So when you say illusion, what, mm. what are you meaning around that? Mm. So from my perspective, I think what I see and have been seeing is the 
ever-increasing um, capitalist, materialistic and consumeristic view yes. on the world. So buy more, get more, be more, do more, attain yeah, more, Yeah, be the best version more. of you. It's just, you know, constant mm. growing on things, status, um, profit and materials. Yes. And when the threat of that is potentially being taken away, um, that we can't move around, we can't get, we won't be able to have the things. Um, positions are ne not necessarily apt now because the world and the structure in which we were used to trading or conversing or politics is, is shifted very quickly because we have an external threat to the human race. Yes. Um, was, was lifted for the moment. And then people go, oh my God, so if all of those things that I've been thinking are really real, yes. and those are the things that I've been using as a criteria or a framework to run my life, are not necessarily true or weren't as true as they were, I thought they were or as important, then what is it that I actually want to see? Yes. And what is it that I actually do see as a deeper human reason for being alive? I know we're getting deeper meaningful very quickly. Good. Um, but so the illusion, I think, is this um, fog that sits in front of us as um, people in society um, that essentially renders us useless and processed rather than yeah. free and organic and connected. Mm. That's what I've been thinking about. It's quite succinctly put. <laughs> um, that is interesting because I... I actually spoke not so long ago about almost the requirement for an existential crisis on a regular, um, regu regular sort of occurrence. And, um, you know, I got asked not so long ago, you know, you call your podcast WA Real, what's the real about? And from nowhere out came, there's nothing more real than an ending. And, and but more often than not, my podcasts cover the ending of people's stories that they tell themselves. So that's almost like your illusion, which is why I asked you what illusions mean to you. And to me, there's been a big resonance around the stories that we tell ourselves. Now we tell ourselves so we, can, so we know who we are, how we navigate in the world. But I've sort of reflected quite heavily on my own, and I think I share this with other people, my own addiction to knowing things. You know, I'm a ex-consultant, did very well at school, da 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 I was bred and culturalized to know things and look smart and not look stupid and stuff like that. And so now I'm exploring more the whole sitting in the unknown and comfortably saying, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And doing that has helped me to see, I've always felt the illusion that you've been talking about, yeah. but now I could kind of yeah. see it because it's like, well, I don't know. What else? What could there be? It's very confusing. And it's also, because it is confusing because we literally are stepping into a place where we don't have a blueprint for it, which is beautiful. Yes. Uh, well, maybe we do have, I'm just questioning that as I say it, because we probably have a blue, a, a very old blueprint culturally in, the, in our heritage of all, you know, time gone by. In our DNA somewhere. Similar. Yeah. Um, but we don't have the blueprint when we've got technology and globalization, things like that. Um, do you know, it's beautiful that you're talking about not, not needing to know or trying to check, check that identity yes. that you have around um, you know, needing to look smart or be, you know. Yep. It's a good question about what is real as well. Or, because I, I study philosophy as well, it just like, blows my head off because everything's like, what is real? <laughs> what yeah. is thinking? What is knowing? And then you start to go off into a whole rabbit hole. Mm. Um, 
what I think is beautiful about this opportunity that we have, or as much as it might be confusing to a lot of people and also confronting, mm. and I, I label those as things that I feel myself as well as potentially seeing others, is that we've got an opportunity to connect more into humanity than we have been. Mm. What it really means to be human and, and, and to deal with um, our primal needs. Yes. Um, rather than a superficial spinning of media and agenda and politics that a neoliberalistic world has kind of really wanted us to buy into. To buy into. So it can generate the yeah. capitalist consumerism exactly. that just relentlessly moves forward. And, and it just keeps, and it's going to explode. And so we've got this pause or this opportunity or this window to look into something different. But I think what you're saying is actually really important is, is not expecting to understand it or know it mm. because um, I think therein lies a skill set that's really important for us. Yes. To be curious and to connect into, you know, how that might make us feel, which is unusual, but sit with that mm. rather than having to process it really quickly to get to this outcome that's going to then achieve something. Yeah, yeah. You know? Because we are sole predictable outcomes and, yeah. you know, come on my course and in eight weeks time you'll yes. be able to do such and yes. such and this, that and the yeah. other. And I think I likened it in, in my presentation that if you considered there being two opposing muscles, our knowing things or our capacity to want to know and knowing things is like Olympic class muscle. But the opposing muscle is sitting in the unknown and not knowing and being okay with that is almost like atrophied. Oh, that's a really good analogy. Mm. I have a question for you now. Go on. Because you just mentioned something that's been playing on my mind and I would like to talk about it. This is going to be a counselling session for us both, if Excellent. you're all right with that. Um, you know how you said the thing, you know, sign up now and in eight weeks you get the course and, you know, those sorts of things that happen. Yeah. Um, I recognise in what I'm about to say that everybody has their place and everyone needs certain things to live and, and that people are doing the best they can. So I want to frame it with this is not blame or judgement question because mm. I know that it can sound like that. Just say it. But, well, no, I want to frame it because I think it's important to frame and contextualise to soften any misunderstandings that stop the message from being received. So I'm actually a real okay. fan of framing and contextualising. Um, I but, see. But my straightness in the question is, um, do we need to do less um, processing people through funnels to get attention, to be self um promoted because there's a lot of noise out there at the moment with a lot of people sort of doing that self um selfies and self-promotion and and you know let, let me take you on a journey and let me help you yeah and it just seems so to be millions of different people doing it but i don't know how many people are actually doing the work they're talking about doing the work but i'm not entirely sure how many people are working on what they talk about and yes. I, I'm worried that we're over-processing each other so much so that everything becomes a number or everything becomes an opportunity to win someone's work more so than actually doing the depth of the work with people from an authentic place. And I struggle with this, really yes. personally struggle with it, because I understand that algorithms and processes and get the numbers in and the people will come and the followers and the influencers and things like that, that there, is a, there is an actual yeah. relevance to that. But are we, are we not really taking care of one another when we're just trying to process people through... Through an eight-week course. an algorithm or through trying to get them to buy things? I'm just, worry, I'm just worried that it's just the new version of neoliberalism. <laughs> I 
in the sense that we're, we're not actually treating each other through our hearts. Yes. And it's, it's super interesting you ask me this because okay. that's, that's the end of this little line down ah, here. Okay, tell me about that. The, thought, the thoughts on the true impact of coaching and programs and things yeah. out in the world. Yeah. Um, I think so there's almost... So to be super transparent, I found that recently there was a story in me that was being hooked by much of this, come and do this course and you'll learn and then you do a course and put it out to the world and da, 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 da. And you know, the pressure, the, the internal pressure to, from doing the podcast to do something that sort of spins out of the podcast has been quite large on myself. Um, and then, so there's been this story that sort of sits there and it got well and truly hooked. And I had this whole, oh, well, I need to find a thing in the world that can help. So then I can turn it into a business and do the thing and be helpful and be a provider to that one. And that recently just blew up. And I saw the story that was being hooked into about, um, there were certain things in a period period of time that I wasn't happy about, and I just, in the crucible of that, decided, well, this is not gonna happen again. And from there, I was like, right, I'm gonna be the master of my destiny, and I'm off. And then anything that helped with that hooked in nicely, and off I went. And so seeing um, that story bubble up recently, um, by seeing some of the people that I was following, including my original podcast mentor almost, and I'm watching these people almost blow up recently, made me go, holy shit. And then it came up. And then I suddenly start to see and feel something that had been niggling away. And, and yeah, we're, we're at this point, this saturation point of, of, of oh, I need to have the funnel and I need to be doing the thing online and I need to be bringing them in and da 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 da, da. Yet, in this COVID environment, I found that influence have never been so more redundant and irrelevant. You know, I'm sitting there, I'm at home I'm with my fiance, we're doing the work, we're gonna have a walk on the beach, this, that, the other, and someone's coming on telling me, you know, this, that, and the other, and I'm just like, all, all the things that pre-COVID everything we were chasing after the illusions, the stories, da, 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 and now they're, they're not there or they're not quite accessible and you're just like, dude, this is so irrelevant. Yeah. And, and so it's highlighted, it's really brought it out to me. And then it's almost questioned, like I'm sure everybody, there's, most people out there have a brush with a life collision of some, some description. And then because it's been painful for them, like the parent who doesn't want their child to go through that pain again, you wanna share that thing that helped you go through so nobody has to collide with life. But unfortunately colliding in life is a key part of life and learning how to get triggered learning how to sit in your own nervous system, learning how to process your own emotions, mm. um, learning how to, well, it's not even learning, it's just dealing with. Mm. 
And so this relentless, you know, I can take you in eight weeks to the best version of you. Yeah. Well, like, that's absolute horseshit, yeah. Yeah. right? Or in eight weeks we can get the abs that always, why do you need the fucking abs? Yeah. Like, you know, or you can work from home and this, that and the other. It's like, well, maybe, like, think about changing your job, yeah. you know, or, yeah. or, or just really engage with it. And then, so it strikes me that there's almost people who have these brushes or collisions with life. And if you look at the, if you look at the, um, the formula, you know, people like Russell Brunson have been awesome at breaking down, this is how you present a webinar. You do this and then you have the relatable story and then you get to the key domino of what's, how to take you from here to there. And then that invites you to go position your solution and stuff like that. And you come out and you look at it and you're just like, holy crap, it's such a formula. Yeah. Very clever formula. Yeah. You know, in the likes of, like I said, Russell Brunson, Tony Robbins, and you know, you go back, They've been at it for years, years. And you get processed, you go through these high energy tempo yeah. events or yeah. eight weeks, yeah. or, or you buy a six week online course. And like, I'll be honest, I had to move from this podcast to Zoom podcast for six weeks. It's nice, during a patch on a real interaction, yeah. right? I would now pay to go and sit in a group with people. I would pay to sit in a room and actually interact and physically do the thing on many levels. Online, fuck off. Mm. I'm not gonna spend more than a hundred bucks because I just want the information. Mm. And so more and more now, you got me on a real thing. I know. <laughs> more and more now I've become super sensitive about well-meaning coaches and, and everyone's got a fix for everything. You know, and, and this anxiety around everything needs to be fixed, right? There aren't that many problems. There really aren't. You know, if you, if you scale back what we've had taken away from us, it, it's irrelevant. Nobody's taken away, by and large, no one's taken away your food, no one's taken away your water, no one's taken away your air. If, if you live in a, a country, and we'll talk about Africa yeah. soon, um, in, in a country where you have actually got a government that is working. Yeah. So that's not entirely true, but yes, continue. But where, where we are in <laughs> Western we Australia, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. right now, yeah. WA Rail. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. I've also started to look at it further in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, you know, this will probably be my, my degrees in psychology and stuff coming out, and I love a little framework, but you've got Cartman's triangle. Uh, drama yeah. triangle. Yeah. We all know what a persecutor looks like. Mm. I find now that um, I find now that the uh, the legitimisation of the victim space has almost become a little cancer in our society. Yeah. I don't deny that there are people, top and bottom ten percent, who legitimately are getting victimised or victimed in some way. But it strikes me that because we've pr we've created provisions for victims here systematically. Uh, in the way you know everything's structured, that the other a large chunk of the other eighty percent want to dive in there. Tell me more about what you mean about that. Um, because it's it's I think it's important that we don't um, marginalise victims in any way. No, so and that's double, yeah, and that's not what, check what you mean. Yeah. So when I say yeah. that there's legitimately a top and bottom ten percent, yeah. that's what I mean. Sorry, in terms yeah. of a bell curve. Yeah. 
the, the outliers that genuinely need help and support and society and benevolent we should provide that but it's almost like because of the systems and things that have been put in place to look after them others have gone oh well that's a little bit me okay and and so i find that it's it's almost fashionable to feel to be oh i've been offended transgressed victimized or something um but then the other part of the triangle is the helper. And, you know, culturally, how, who could deny that helping's a good thing? <laughs> but is it? Well, this is, so the Cartman Triangle is beautiful, I think, because um, for anyone listening and who might not understand this, there's three states, the persecutor, the rescuer, mm. and the uh, victim. And two of those always need to be in place. So the victim is always in play. Yes. The persecutor is a person going, yeah, you shouldn't. See, I told yeah. you you shouldn't. And the, the rescuer is like, let me help you. I'll yes. come and make everything right for you and fix yes. you. Um, but the key player on the board can move people around the yes, board. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so our, I think our goals in life is not to be on the board, <laughs> not to be in the yes. triangle, right? So just like I always like to avoid go, it. Yeah, just don't go near the triangle. Don't be in any one of those roles from a mentality or a psychological perspective. So I think there's a difference between real victims who have been, um, you know, um, very much hurt or mm. um, traumatised or wounded from any kind of type of behaviour that has violated them. And then there's a victim mentality, I think, which is a slightly different version of the triangle where victims or victim mentality is that I don't have control of my life. Yes. Um, but it can feel like you don't have, yeah, have control. Where it could be an internal state that happens because of many different reasons. Um, but it's funny, isn't it? Because we don't want to victimise the victim, but you also want to check a reality as to go, are, are we victims um, from our own thinking and our own sense of self-esteem and things like that versus <coughs> actual victimhood where something significant has happened to us? Um, so do you think that, though, some of the, even if you say the 80% where they don't necessarily have legitimate victim status, just say, let's go just, with the good like at the moment. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's some kind of um, historical hurt and healing that's coming from many different cultures that have been suppressed? And that we have actually, we're living out a genetic predisposition to suffocating things that have happened in the past, like trauma to Aboriginal history and mm. people in intergenerational trauma. Um, Black Lives Matter is happening as well now. Um, you've got people in um, many different countries who are marginalised and suppressed. Um, and uh, and do, you, do you think that perhaps we're tapping into parts of ourselves that we have suppressed for a very long time and that we're now allowing ourselves to see what um, injustice and hurt really looks look like? Feel like? So we're tapping into it more? Um, I've got sort of three levels of an answer to that. Um, one is, it strikes me that many older um, ways of living, civilizations, and I base that not just on my scant knowledge of Aboriginal life here, but also having spent time in South America as well, is that there were rituals and ways of beings which acknowledged the almost like the internal psychic forces that we all go through and 
and, and recognize that we have shadows individually and collectively. And that, so therefore, whether through dance, chant, plant, medicine, whatever, you, you purge that, you legitimize it, acknowledge it, and purge it and, and release it out. It strikes me that here in the West, we, you know, if I try to talk about shadow to most people, they'd be like, what, down the floor, you know? And, you know, and it's the whole, yeah, well, there's a dark part to you. That's why you can be a wanker some days. You know, you can go from being nice as pie in the morning to being a wanker middle of the afternoon and, and then back to nice as pie by tea time. Um, and that's because, you know, we are not just one version of ourselves. We have multiple versions which, you know, black and white and, and all shades of gray in between. And when we don't legitimize that, it's almost like I've heard it described before as you press it down and so the basement gets full of shit. And then after a while, it gets pretty stinky and it gets pretty full up and then it starts coming out. Yeah. And so therefore, we ourselves are not actually, like you said earlier on, what does it truly mean to be a human? Mm -hmm. I don't think we're actually in touch with the true nature not the science of being a human, but the nature, oh, you know, yeah. you know, the, the, is some of the turmoil in the world that's happening surprisable, surprising? Really? No, it's not. Because the second part of my answer is you've got systems in place that are just the external reflection of that, that just like suppress and, you know, logical left-hand thinking. We've got capitalism and there's no place for this, that, and the other, da, 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 da. And so you're not acknowledging it internally. You've built systems externally. So yeah, it, it's all coming together. And I think that's just being brutally honest about who we are as humans. We can do amazing, creative, beautiful things. And when we're in pressure, we can do some dark, shitty things, mm. right? We have the option to choose, but sometimes even that choice can be really, really difficult when you've had layer after layer after layer after layer of anxiety, trauma, collision, shit, all of it on top of you. And then the third part of my answer is, is that, and this is where I probably go a little bit further down the rabbit hole than most, is that I still, there's part of me that thinks that we are a reflection of the consciousness of, of the physical planet that we live on. And that in and of itself has received a large amount of damage. And so that itself is reflecting its pain. And so therefore we collectively feel that. I find it particularly interesting at the moment that all, things have shifted almost since right about December for me, where I can meet people and they'd be going through their own little journey, you know, epiphany, awakening, bit of trauma and this, and, and they would be doing it. And it almost felt like they were there and they were on their own and they would do, and like, you know, help and support. And now, it seems like everybody's got something going on. And it's almost like, the, if we were to raise the temperature or the pH value of the ocean for, the, for fish and dolphins and everything, they would all notice. Collectively, they would all notice. If it just went And I think that's what's happening for all of us. And so it doesn't feel so lonely in the, in the drama and the journey at the moment. Mm. Yep, I hear you. Um, I love what you say then about the, the we're feeling the reflection of the earth. And, mm. and because I, I 
done a lot more work myself on understanding and it's like probably everything I'm about to tell you is all that I know but um, about how we connect in through um, the dimensions and the, and the field in which we energetically are connected so collective consciousness and yes. you know if you look at metaphysics and quantum physics and you know I say those words I can tell you like three things about them mm. um, but as we connect more than just what the matter is around us the things that we're touching and you know we, we are connected far further through um, the mm. nature around us and each other than we've ever really understood or, or known and yes. there's some beautiful research around that at the moment and I was saying to someone the other day um, that I, if, if human race was to be removed from the earth, um, not only would the earth not notice, because <laughs> we're not needed here, um, doesn't mean we're not relevant, but we're not necessary to anything happening, but it would probably be better off. Um, and it's not to say that humans are, are awful. Actually, mm. I believe in humanity so much and our, our species, mm. and I, I think everybody is very valid. Um, but the thing is, is that because of our... Um, growth and our intellectual growth that keeps us getting into these spaces of evolution of attainment and extraction and just more 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 get 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 you know achieve 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 um, it means that we're sort of becoming blind to the health the overall health of the entire mm. universe and nature around us um, and so that's only going to hurt the earth it's only yes. going to hurt the environment around us which ultimately will also then reflect hurt in us hmm. and so I, I, I also and sometimes I don't know about you but sometimes I can feel really connected and sad or um, any kind of negative emotion where I feel very conflicted or and I think, what the hell is going on like I, there's yeah. not necessarily something right now that is hurting me and then it's sometimes, just there sometimes I think I am literally hearing and reflecting something from outside of me Hmm. Um, which is people around me or the world and, and, and all the thoughts and feelings that are happening that are far greater than just myself. Um, and I think there's a really big collective version of that right hmm. now. And it's not for us to blame or to judge. It's actually, I believe, it's for us to have compassion for. Yes. Um, because the better we are individually, the more than our reflection is helpful rather than it also harming. Hmm. And I think that's the beauty of the self-work that helps people to like deeply understand how they may live their life but also have an impact um, outside of themselves yes. in a good way. Yes. So, you know, going back to the analogy of a former guest of, you know, so we're not energetically throwing garbage out the window of the car or, or yeah. Just, um, so here's a thought for you. Um, I was just picking up something you said that if we were to be removed from the planet, the planet wouldn't notice. How about, because it's something I've been toying with, um, how about the fact that we are here for a reason, we are here for a specific design, and if we weren't here, the planet would notice. Certainly trees would, in the way we have a symbiotic relationship with, we expel the carbon dioxide, which then gets put together with the water and the light to create the starch, and then it gives off oxygen. Da, 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 da. That's one relationship we have here. But is it, could it be the case, and I like playing with this idea, that we do have a reason here. We have a very specific purpose. We just haven't spent enough time actually considering that. Tell me what you think that is. I don't know the answer. Oh, I thought you were going to solve all the world's problems. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Here on this podcast. Um, it's not that it's not relevant, and that's why I want to make the distinction between relevance and necessity. Yeah. Because um, we didn't exist before and the world still existed yeah. and it was fine and it was probably more healthy. Of course, we're going to have an impact, whether that's good or bad. Mm. 
and our reason for being is probably just the whole purpose of life, isn't it? Is to yes. consider and wonder. It's, it's, that per, it's that look under the illusion that you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier on. Mm-hmm. That anything that's not really aligned mm-hmm. to that yeah. is actually superfluous to require. It's true. And so Michael Singer, who I love, um, mm. have you seen much of his stuff? Not much. No. Oh, go on, you're going to love it. Um, so he did the surrender experiment and the untethered soul. Incredible. Um, but he says, really, our job as humans is to witness the universe expressing itself. Yes. Um, that's it. And not to take on crap and to get rid of any crap within us that we've got. <laughs> that's it. That's our job. Yep. Um, and I love how he keeps that very simple. He's a Jewish yogi and he is just this incredibly in, mm. you know, intelligent and um, creative kind of person. But I like that idea. But then I can understand from our humanity perspective that we confuse and connect so many dots that we, we our mind just takes us into completely different places. And I, you know, when, I was, when I write, um, I often write in the morning anything yes. that I want to actually be read before my mind confuses me. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because by the afternoon, I'm like, I don't know anything. Yeah, it's, it's all, all like, too it's much. busy and yeah, it's doing and I've the thing. Yeah, I've confused myself. Yes. Um, and I think, though, what's beautiful about Michael Singer work um, is that it helps you to simplify and to recognise that we probably overestimate our place mm. in the world. And, and it's not to say that we're not important, um, but we, we can spend too much time on ego and self-obsession and things like that, mm-hmm. which I do as well. It's not that I'm oh, yeah. there. I'm so wonderful. And he who is there. sinless can cast the first stone. Absolutely. <laughs> Give me 72 stones because I tell you, I struggle with those things myself. Um, so it's just, I think, a constant thinking about how can we support one another and help each other in a gentle, compassionate way um, to live a very simple, connected worthwhile life yes. that only helps rather than hinders or harms. Yes. Um, and I think that's a lot of the stuff that you can, we can get very caught up in judging and criticizing. Um, and even I, you know, I look at myself and I think I don't want, you know, going back to the processing people through eight week courses and all that sort of stuff. I just don't want to see so much of that, but I also really understand it yes. because everybody's just trying to do the best they can and be relevant and helpful. Hey, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's, so it's a little bit. It's almost like a little sometimes. seedling that is always going to grow out of the capitalist bed, right? Yeah. And I guess one of the things that hasn't helped us on our journey, particularly when you know, like we um, don't want to deal with the shadow and the dark parts of us, is that if some shining light dude, do that turns up and goes, I can take you through. And we'll just skip across the the shadow, and you're like. But the thing is, is that oh. you know, I did Michael Singer's course, yeah. which was eight. Funnily enough, eight weeks. I've watched it so many times. Yeah. It was so helpful, and so it's not that it's not the thing. It's about how that we go about capture, like the, yes. the funneling and the processing and the algorithm of the treatment of each other. Mm. So I love Russell Brand for the reason that. He is very organic with his and consistent with his content. Yeah. And there's real no, really no expectation that you would do anything with him. He just wants no. to. He's, he's a preacher now. Yeah. And there are things you can buy and you, you do not get funneled. Yes. And I, so I love that. Yes. You know, I love that he is genuinely there to support and to help. Of course, he's got a brand that 
Oh, I love the pun that I just made, the, the, the brand, <laughs> Russell Brand has, um, that helps him to earn money. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like the first time he's heard that. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's so many things, I think, that are very helpful and useful for us to share with each other. I, what I'm questioning in the original question is about how we go about doing that and how we end up treating one another when we start treating each other like numbers and funnels and algorithms. Yes. That's really the point I'm trying to make. That's when we move into that psychopathic... Yeah devoid people from outcome yeah like which a lot widgets of that are moving through yeah. the system you know yeah exactly so i feel i've had this many impressions that yeah. meant this yeah. many hits on my website which converted yeah. to this and my email list is this big yeah. and then it got through to i do understand and like as soon as we say mm. I'm like, i get it um mm. but i started my I very early career in the early 2000s um as my only foray into coaching proper and it was with sales managers in Honda dealerships across the UK. And, you know, we looked at the sales process. You know, you need to make this many phone calls to get this many people in the dealership, to get this many test drives, to do this, to do this, to do this. I get it. But how many cars on the road do we need? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, how many times do you need to replace your car? Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. So, um... Going back a little bit into that um, victim legitimization and then bringing in where we were in the last podcast with straight talking. How do we bring those together? Because you sort of mentioned it earlier on where it's like, to me at times, the victims, the and I have encountered this in workplaces where the victims get, them so, get themselves so wound up in victimhood that you can kind of see from a higher level, benevolent, almost parenting type basis, that they just need a firm word, just snap them out of it. Or unless there's another tool, because sometimes loving them doesn't get them out of the thing. Or, or the love that comes with a face like a hug and a cup of tea and a, and a biscuit and like, and, I, and I've started to, I don't, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but I've started to put across that love has different faces and sometimes the face comes with a kick up the arse. <laughs> <Like this. laughs> yeah, yep. you know, it's what I refer to as, um, I've got a 13 year old daughter, it's what I call higher order parenting. Where I'm parenting for when she leaves at 18, 20, not because I want her to be my friend today. Well, I've got more of a question for you in reflection and to see where you go with it. Um, what in it's you... Gonna be, it's going to be like, I'm going to put my name on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. interviewed by Susan. God. I can't help myself. That's all right. What do you think is in you when you are feeling like you need to persecute? Because that's persecuting. It's, yeah. I'm telling you. I'm, getting, I'm now having a Yeah, but I've got to this to point where, yeah. yeah. So what is that in you? Because I think this is important, it's an important thing to unpack it, only if you're willing to go there, because I think it helps us to recognise, mm. like, what is the use of any of our emotions? Yes. You know? So what is it in you? I think um, where I get to is, um, it's probably born out of experience where, Um, so, so, so my parents both grew up with, with at a time when parents told you what to do. So they decided to go to the other end of the scale. It was like, oh yeah, Brit and Jane, my sister, do what you want, <laughs> right? 
And there, that because we didn't want to be like wasn't that. For, yeah, because yeah. we don't want to be like that. Yeah. And it's like, cool. And and that's not to say it was like ridiculously free ranging, but you know, <laughs> there were corridors and you found the edges of them from time to time. But um, and that in itself was useful. Um, but I guess you know you, you always reflect back on what's come before, and it's kind of like well. I really like the fact that I organically was allowed to, the, but there were a couple of times when you just think, every now and again, just the firm word would have just helped yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's that, probably coupled with um, having grown up being a um, people pleaser, mm. There's probably something in there as well about me now inhabiting my own sovereignty, mm. backing myself, mm. which I've done more and more in the last three to five years. And you know, doing stuff like this has propelled that to the point where I, where sometimes it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, this just feels like a truth for me. And I've sat by far too often and, and allowed myself, mm. let alone others, mm. to just mill around and fall off the cliff and, and, and this, that and the other. And, and, and then it also comes into this, this, this other thing that I've been playing with, which is, so that's, that's the context, but this other thing that I've been playing with, which is about um, tacit approval, where we, we quietly acquiesce on things by being quiet and then others around us interpret that as, oh yeah, Bryn's on board with that. You know, the classic thing can be sometimes, <laughs> if the old man's listening, he's gonna laugh about this. So my dad lives in, in the UK. He, he, he loves to protect and provide and this, that and the other. And so sometimes when things are going on here that are not working so well for me, like it frustrates him and he wants to protect and provide me for me, even though I'm, you know, age 45. Um, and so sometimes he'll go, right, well, what you need to do is this, 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 and this, right? And not every FaceTime call have I got the time, energy, and bandwidth to just say no, Dad, because of this, that, and the other. And so I just go, quiet. So then what happens? He leaves the call and he thinks, oh, yeah, I've told Bryn what to do and he's going to go and do that. I think, oh, yeah, okay, well, I humoured the old man. I don't really want to upset him. I let him say his thing and do his, play his role. And off he goes. Two weeks later, we'll have another FaceTime call. He's like, oh, did you do the thing? And I'm like, no. He's like, why not? And I'm like, oh, I was never going to do it. He goes, but you said you were going. And then you think, well, I gave tacit approval by being quiet and quietly acquiescing. So then once you open that up, then it's like, oh, crap. That is an avenue to trying to correct the world, which is just fucking tiring. So there's this healthy tension now within me, which is, I could be quiet or not. I actually have got to the place now where if I actually care about someone, then I tell them. If I can't be asked with someone, then I acquiesce. <laughs> <laughs> so, Boom. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it, but it's, yeah. It, it's, but to, do, to go through some of that thought process involves or I might have to go into the world of collision and conflict, yeah. which people don't like doing, telling it like it is, yeah. according to my truth. Yeah. 
Well, my question and my advice always to anyone, including myself, is what is your intent in the communication mm. and conversation? So your question was, you know, how does straight talk relate to victimhood, so to speak, and how do we, you know, have that, that type of connection? And I think it's important. Like, so what I'm hearing when I hear you speak is about finding your voice and being able to know when is time to speak and when it's time to be quiet, mm. which is a beautiful lesson. And also is knowing that in how you treat others as well. Yes. So there will be times where um, just because you want to do that doesn't mean it's right for them. Yes. And then it becomes about you. It becomes about you not having yes. that quiet voice. And My nervous system being agitated by their behavior. And needing to have a voice, but is that actually helpful to them? Yes. And so when people are dealing with victims, and, and I'm talking about victim mentality, yes. rather than victims yes. of, of, you know, have actually you know, being perpetrated in some kind of heinous way. Um, so I do really want to keep harping on about, we're talking about yeah, victim yeah, yeah. mentality. Just in case anyone popped in yeah, halfway through. I really don't want anyone to think that um, it's not a, it's none, none of this is valid because every every situation is valid mm. in which we're talking. Um, but it's about how, how do I help that person? And I think it's more about how do we help them be seen? Mm. And how do I be in a way that helps them to feel heard and seen? And that takes nuanced ability to notice what people need and the difference. So straight talk isn't brutal, yes. in my view. And straight talk isn't necessarily about from my point of view, whether I love you or not, it's more about um, how, how do I support in our communication um, a way for you to be able to see yourself and feel that you've been seen yes. to come to the outcome of the reason that we're even talking in the first place. Yes. So if it's in a workplace, it might be about helping them you know, clear up some stuff in their heads so they can get on with their work. Or if it's mm. in a loving relationship, it might be about you feeling supported and loved and honored by me, um, if that's what you need. And so, like, what is the intention of our communication? And then what is it in me that needs my assertion or quietness or whatever that is needed um, to get the outcome of which we are you know, co-creating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a co-creation. Co-creating, yeah. And so when we're thinking about straight talk and victimhood, um, I think it's about being really compassionate to the nuances in which a co-created conversation doesn't, there is no one way other yes. than um, permission seeking mm. and helping people to really understand that you your best interest lays with them. Yes. Um, and I think if we can all come from that frame, and, it, and that sounds different all the time. Yeah, and the intention is, 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 is it's been such a key thing to play with because I find at the moment it's in this highly emotive place that a lot of us are at. Yeah we can respond so quickly to the behavior and assign something like, oh, he's done that to try and fuck me up or, or piss me off or yeah. do something like that. Where it's like, well, no, what is the actual intention behind that? What is the intention behind most people's behaviors? Yeah. Just dropping down yeah. to that level. Yeah. But a lot of this um, is, is sitting on a bed of concentration span, holding nuances in our heads. And yet, you switch on the TV and put the news on and it's 60 seconds, 60 seconds, 60 seconds, black and white, reduced. It's this, it's not that, it's this, it's not that. How would you see the clash of those two coming yeah, together? it's a beautiful observation. So you'll notice there's no television in my house. Yeah. <laughs> 
And two years ago, I might have talked about this in our first podcast, but two years ago I embarked on a bit of an experiment that's just become a way of life, which is I don't actually read the media, watch the media, listen to the media at all. Yes. Um, so I don't look at the news, I don't listen mm. to commercial radio, I don't see adverts on TV and things like that, um, because I just started to re- I truly realise how that is just someone else's agenda that I really don't need to be bought into. Yes. Like it is a profit-making machine that is mm. just going to push me into that consumerist, materialistic world yeah, yeah, where yeah. my values have become about having things and being somebody, I mean, as in like a status-driven, profit fueled purpose and in an organizational chart rather than um for me and this is i am talking for myself um it's more important for me i think to be able to settle i had a really violent childhood yes and i just jumped really quickly there but i just thought i'd give yeah. a bit of context i have very violent did childhood. Cover. yeah and traumatic right. and i i have recognized as i get older um the more space i have and the more quiet time i have um, the more peaceful I am. Yes. And that then helps me be a better human in response to the other humans around. Yeah. Um, and nature and the earth, I hope. Um, and if I go too fast and everything gets too quick, then I lose my sense of um, being able to actually have those nuances and communication. Yes. And I really, I think I'm on this earth now to help hold that space too and to just slow the whole fucking thing down yeah. because it's just and slow the whole fucking thing down slow the whole fucking thing down that could be the title of the podcast slow the whole fucking thing down slow the whole and so from that perspective um, I think there's a massive correlation between the fact but, but see that's driven yeah. from let's get you know as much noise out there as possible we've got to be the biggest the most um, noticed mm. the one that's got the most followers or the most money or the that mm. we're coming back to that the most the most the, the most, most the best the, most. the best the best again and, and we've got all these little slithers of many people trying to do that of, of, of people being excellent in one little slither of their life and then they'll post that or make a video about that and then you stick someone else and someone else someone else and the next thing you know all you see 72 million shiny slithers shiny slithers that represent one semi-collective holistic life that yeah. you are now comparing and contrasting yourself yeah. against and so true. welcome like, yeah. to yeah yeah psychosis yeah. <laughs> yeah and so that is a massive correlation mm. and i can see how it's happened and i can see how it's going to change how do you think? Oh, COVID is a beautiful interruption for it for a little while. And mm. um, again, it lifts the lid just long enough mm. for us to go, oh, now we wouldn't have been, like, so we would have sounded, we might sound like loonies already, but if we had had this conversation a little while ago, people wouldn't actually, they'd listen to it and go, that just sounds like we were They're a bit off crap. it. Crap. Yeah, okay. we are probably. Well, they've been smoking. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we could do that after. Yeah. Um, but. I, for the this is the time where this message could be received a little bit more. Yeah, um, I'm finding more and more of that. I think it's awesome, um, but it doesn't mean it's not emotional and confusing. And oh, but I also don't really know where to say we're going either. Like cause that's where I mean that there isn't necessarily a blueprint. And that's the coming back mm. to the I don't know. Mm. I don't know where we're going. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I am mm-hmm. in all of this. I don't know what to do with all these feelings. Mm-hmm. Don't know where they go. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Because that's where something new and cool gets birthed. Yeah. And if not, like if not, because that's that sometimes is the thinking. Oh, because if I then rest into this, I'll get something. Yeah. Or I will achieve something, or something will come. Yeah. And if it doesn't, that's also okay. Yeah. 
Um, and so I've, I've, I personally have started to really sort of resist the achievement attainment focus in myself, but it leaves me very confused because it's the way I used to know how to do things. Yeah. Um, well, it's the feedback yeah. that gives you the sense of control. Yeah. And now we're doing things and instead of getting that echo, it's just going into the abyss. <laughs> Hello. Nothing bad. So I think oh, doesn't even really matter. You make it when you, when you actually when you <laughs> what comes up the picture that comes up for me is when you say stuff like that. It's like stabilizers on the bike are coming off, the trainer wheels. Yeah. We don't need the echo. Yeah. Just do it yourself, but from here. And but that is a whole practice that hasn't been happening. And so we can't expect within three months for us as a human race to just get be able it. To just get it. Otherwise, we'll be doing what we did before. Exactly. Like, oh, you got to get it now. Yeah. Or we could sell a course. You and me. <laughs> eight weeks. We'll take you from here to here and you'll get it. You heard it first. Right. This is eight weeks worth of content in 10 minutes ago. <laughs> there you go. So, as well as um, processing life on a different level, you've also written a book. Yeah, it's my second book. Hmm. Um, Sleeping Giants. Sleeping Giants, yeah. I am. Um, oh, it's a very emotional book. Do you want to have a flick through it while we're talking? Um, because I'm just interested in which one you flick open to. Okay. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll ask my higher self to put yeah. my thumb where it, it needs to go. Do it, do it, do it. Vulnerability. <gasps> I think I've already done a bit of that, haven't ah, I? Talking about my dad yeah. and my childhood and growing up and stuff like that. What am I doing? Reading it out? No, you don't have to. Um, okay. We can always just do a little picture of it. Um, but as you can see, it's a book that you can use mm. to look at one page at a time. But interestingly, um, the book came to me um, over the last couple of years, but it got born because I went to an orphanage in Africa in the slums. Yes. Um, and it confronted me no end. And um, I've seen a way of living that I didn't understand was possible. Yes. Um, and so to stand in front of a woman who had 15 children to look after in a room um, that's probably as big as most of our bedrooms. Yeah. In a mud hut um, with nothing but a, po a pot of water and the water had come from a poisonous river. Yeah. Um, even if she had seeds to grow things, she didn't have any water to water them. And if you had water, you would have drunk it. Yeah. Um, and that she sell her children um, to get rice or to get a cow. She would what? Sell her children. Sell her children. Yeah. And then use herself sexually as well to get things what she needed. Um, when you're standing in front of that and our problem-solving brains are going, what can I do, what can I do? How can, can this be? And you literally, there's just nothing Yeah. other than I'll just give you what I have. Yeah. You're confronted with the abyss standing embodied right in front of you. Well, it's, it's, I personally was confronted with how can a government do this? with 4.4 mm. million people completely abandoned in the location that I was standing in. Um, and how can corruption <clears throat> be this rife that our country, as in Australia, um, can have a government that's really quite good versus a, a government that has completely abandoned millions of their people. There's, when I asked what the emergency number was, I mean, I'm so lovely and naive, do you know what I mean? What's the emergency number in case I need to call somebody? And um, Christopher, who was, uh, I was with, who, who was born there, um, he said, what do you mean? I said, the number, like in case you need to go to hospital or police, if there's a fight. And he was just like, <laughs> there's nothing like Dude. that. You know, and so to be in a place like that 
um, you know, having had the history that I've had from my own self, um, and then being there, it really confronted me that I um, couldn't possibly understand. And, and I was in um, some people's eyes, I, I would be the only white person they'd ever see with their own eyes in their lifetime where mm. I was. And so race came up as well as to why, you know, a prejudice happens and why, you know, white supremacy or, or white privilege had come about. So a lot of things happened. And so in, in my studies in behavioural change, um, I studied how people move through thinking about something into pro-social action, which is doing something for a greater good. And I ended up writing um, Sleeping Giants as a way of waking up this giant inside of us because right. what I saw when I was there was a lot of people who were giant. Yes. I saw people who gave hope in a way that I had never understood hope. Not some fanciful, <clears> I <throat> wish I was going to win the lottery or I hope this will be over soon and we'll turn to the new normal hope, which is um, an intellectual hope of some sort. Yes. Um, I, I, I experienced profound hope. Um, hope that the next day we will still be alive and that we will share to be to stay alive um, and so when I got home I needed to write the stages of waking up mm. and so there's four stages in this book but each page in the stages um, it's about an emotion or, or a situation that we find ourselves in in that human real deep human place where we are lost or hopeful or you know wanting more and it's about awaking this giant inside of us. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I, I only wrote my um, each page as I felt it. So yep. I didn't write any of the pages just because it was time to write that page. Force it. Or Cried because it was a deadline. all the time. All <laughs> the time. And um, my beautiful friend Natalia, um, Natalia Fadika, she did all the artwork for me. Mm. Um, and so she really sat with the book and, and Mark mate to help f like the book have a feeling other than just words. And the title Sleeping Giants actually comes from Christopher from um, Kenya because we were sitting talking to each other um, in his ute. It was one of the only cars they have in the slums. Mm. And he told me about the story of Sleeping Giants. Yeah. And as he was talking, I, I could just about keep up with what he was saying because I was just keep thinking to myself, that's the title of my book. That's the title of my book. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's what I called it. So everything, all the sales of this book goes to the mm. kids that I met in the orphanage. <clears throat> yeah, so it helped them with water and food and education. So is it, so it's not so much a start at the start and move to the end? You, you can. You can. It was written like that. And it's also, you can also write, read it as a one page at a time, go with mm. your instinct, see what comes up. Yeah. Cool. So I've combined my observations, my psychological study, my behavioural study, my philosophical um, work that I do, as well as um, a bit of poetry and art in there as well. Hmm. And it's now published. There's a lot of tears in that book, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, not I noticed on LinkedIn, it was, I was like, it's coming soon. No, it's not. It's coming soon. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my life with this book. It's taken me years to write it. Um, and then I got it done in 12 weeks, whipped it out. So it's now here. It's now here. How did you feel when you finished it? Really emotional um, because I felt like I was having a relationship with this book. Mm. I was with it every morning. Um, it, was, it was waking my giant up as well. Mm. And so when it was the end, 
I'll, I'll answer that in a second. Um, when it was the end of this, it felt in some ways that I was leaving it. Um, and then I realised, of course, that's not the case because it, it is in me and I am with it all the time. But I, I was like, I'm going to miss you. You know, I've been with you every morning for weeks. <laughs> um, and the waking of the giant for me is actually very quiet. It's a very quiet feeling. Um, mm. It's a very tender, um, soft, um, deep knowing that I don't have to prove or explain about in any way, shape or form because mm. the intention of my giant is incredibly of service and a calling for others mm. as well as myself. So um, it, it feels um, quiet and soft to me. Quiet and soft. Yeah. But there's a degree of sort of, dare I say, power in it? Or? Yeah. yeah. Or mass or whatever you want to Mass it. in it. Yeah. It's interesting because we, we did speak before we switched this on about, I think I made the comment about, I'm just over resilience at the moment. And you went, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Does that, having tapped into your, and decided to embody your inner giant, Do you now no longer almost see or feel the need for these almost like layers of armour, protection, mm. r resilience in its currently being sold format, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's a lovely question. Um, from So I am so open and raw. Uh, I have very few layers anymore, but like we were talking about mm. you feeling like being like layers and, and not necessarily... Um, having to defend or to fight through all of mm. these things that are in front of us. With that rawness and openness and the less need to have barriers up, I find myself so open that I need to put some back up again. Yes. And so resilience for me is um, about pr protecting ourselves healthily mm. um, so that we don't become a battleground with or for others um, and that resilience is really about vulnerability and if you kind of get hit in the battlefield of some kind you know that you just go okay I just have to like go back and just process this and work it out um, so that I can remain strong or, or help myself to build myself to be mm. even you know more powerful or more connected or whatever that might be so like if you want to talk about resilience being you know bouncing back or whatever if you can call it that yeah but I think resilience is actually about um, that, that deep strength that allows us to put uh, healthy boundaries around yes. us, but not barriers. Yes. Um, yeah, so, you know, if, if we're using superficial terms and words about that and that helps meet people's needs for where they're at, I'm cool with that. Oh, 100%. And it's, it, just to me, there's almost a journey of from being done to in the world and then putting on a bit of armour to then go, oh, a bit of space. I'm yeah. just like, yeah. behind this armour, I can yeah. I can do. But then the danger of, there's a danger of wearing the armour too long yeah. and then identifying with the armour, yeah. being fatigued by carrying it. Yeah. Um, and stuff, and then ultimately finding, I've come to this place where I'm almost, like, I don't, I don't know whether it's, oh, it's almost, it's 
almost like an expansive place where I, I as a point of consciousness is just so much bigger than I anticipate or, or can deal with. And so therefore a collision with life about he said, she said, and stuff like that, that then triggers up a story in me, is a story in me that's then creating this emotional response. And I think having found a few tools of how learning how to downregulate my nervous system and then trying to work that out with simple stuff like tremoring and movement and things like that has meant that I just have, I talk about, about having um, a relationship and faith in something bigger than yourself and that's that something bigger than myself is me, the bigger version of me that I kind of know is there. And so it means that I can collide and, and take a few bruises, but they're almost like superficial bruises and they're bruised on this layer, but not in this layer. Does that make sense? So do you mean bit, bit around if you're very <laughs> resilient, like if you're resilient in the, the urban dictionary version yeah, yeah. of the world? Yeah, yeah. Come on, toughen up, soft cop. It's kind of like, well, <laughs> I should hope that's not being said. Um, but it's like um, you're resilient so that you don't even absorb. Hmm. And so true resilience is being open to absorption, but not hurt. Correct. And I don't, and, and it's okay to be hurt, but I, I mean the attack of hurt. Yes. You know? And so that, that's where I think boundaries are really important, healthy boundaries about self-preservation yes. are different to barriers which stop you from even permeating. Yes, yes. Um, and so, if, so true resilience for me is about, is, is a beautiful thing that you just said because mm. it's about being able to absorb and not be so tender or sensitive to the point where, you know, you're just blocking all, all of the array yeah. of the octaves of the heart that we can play, you know? Um, and you're only getting half the experience mm. because you're just like, I'm a shield. Yes. And here's my sword. You know? Indeed. And so, yes. Yeah, so, Fuck off. <laughs> you know, so I think we should have all of it, but we need to understand mm. how to protect ourselves in a healthy way that allows us to be the best version mm. of ourselves at any given time. I um, think inhabiting that state and also going back to what we're talking about with speaking up and okay maybe not specifically focused at, at, at the victim state but coming a bit out speaking up is that I can then see and feel things on the horizon coming along and it's like and so, so you can have a more easygoing conversation with people like dude I would appreciate it if you didn't continue that <laughs> when it's yeah. out there yeah because I know I can almost see where the trajectory is coming in. And so we can have that conversation where it's nice and early. So if it gets close, like, like we did talk about this. Yeah. So f like helping, you mean frame? Frame. Something so that there's, well, that's just an intention, isn't it? For yes. how you want to be treated in the contract of a relationship. Indeed. If that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. Mm. What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get some wine now. Yeah. And <laughs> what so, so, else is on your? You've got a little. Well, we covered quite a lot of it. Map. Yeah, yeah, we've covered a large amount of it. Oh, here's another one for you. How are we going with TEDx in a world of coronavirus? Oh, TEDx Perth, it's amazing. Um, we have gone online for most obvious reasons, and mm. it's quite lovely because um, what we're doing is visiting old um, talks that we've done with our speakers and then interviewing them online and, yes. and getting much more of a participation happening with our TEDx Perth and Perth community. So it's been really beautiful because um, we're only at early days on that, um, but it's just a whole other format that has been born from 
the necessity of going online. Yeah. It's just creating more conversation and communication in our community, which cool. is awesome. So one of TEDx Perth's um, major missions is to have more empathy in our community. Mm. And so it's really nice to have more of a ability to have that participation with everyone and hear everyone's voices, not just some person on the stage, you know, that is, is a one-way communication, which also has its beauty. Um, mm -hmm. But this is just another format that allows a bit more of a two-way conversation. So it's been fun designing that. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Mm. Because, yeah, a 15-minute presentation or 16 of them, you know, Pretty awesome, and I, you know, I came along and I was watching this great work and effort that puts into it. But it can, yeah, to be able to have that interaction with the person is where all the value lies, which yeah. is why I do this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's just given us this um, diversity in how mm. we approach um, the mission, mm. um, which is not only spreading our ideas worth sharing, but it's about helping us to really connect with our community and get, yeah. them, but also have them connect to each other, so mm. things happen more. That spreading of empathy as well. Mm. So it's not, not just ideas worth yeah. spreading, it's almost like feelings as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to work together on things that help communities progress. So that's that's been beautiful. Yeah. Um so yeah, the, the live events will come back um as and when we can do them fully and properly. Um but for now we're really focusing on small live events probably come back a little bit sooner, the salon events and um the online salons as well. But it's been fun designing like how we can make use of our technology and time. Mm. And is that, um, is that something TEDx Perth has done or is it in other TEDx's? So, oh yeah, definitely. So there's a TEDx organizers group um, from around the world that we get to sit with and share ideas with each other and, and mm. examples of how people have been doing different things. Um, so TEDx Perth's format is unique to itself. So there, we haven't seen another version of what we're doing um, in the way that we're doing it. Um, but there's plenty of different other TEDx's that are doing all sorts of different versions of their own ideas, mm. which are cool. So we what just decided to ideas? Hmm? What are some of the other formats? Um, some of them are more uh, to camera speaking. Yeah. So if I was doing a TEDx talk, I'd be doing it to camera live yep. or a pre-record version of it. Yep. And it's just as simple as that. Um, whereas ours is a lot more interactive, so we're playing an old talk and then creating breakout rooms to discuss the talk and then mm. doing a Q&A with the speaker about the gap between where they did the talk and where we are now and then asking the community questions about what they also want to know from the speaker um, and then getting back into breakout rooms to discuss an ideal version of what they've just expla you know, explained or, or had explained with them. So it's been quite lovely to have this very, so it's, a, it's a succinct hour um, and with little sections in it that are really um, sort of call for people to converse rather than just absorb. Mm. So most of the others, I think what we've seen is a traditional sort of speaker absorb. and maybe a Q&A, mm. but not the actual um, breakout rooms and participation. It's pretty own. cool that because <clears throat> the, challenge, the challenge I started to notice with not just like TED and TEDx, but other things where it probably comes back to our you know whole thing of you know online coaches and stuff like that is <clears throat> you can go to these hugely motivating events like you feel the buzz or you get the mental stimulation and it's awesome for the day you sit you receive and you do the thing blah, blah, blah. but then what happens next mm. that's, exactly, <laughs> that's exactly our question what happens next yeah so we've been looking at that for quite a long time that's why salons came in to mm. play so we love our flagship event you know, you just get around about 2,000 people. It's, it's quite the show. 
and in our breakout spaces, we're, when we're curating and designing, we're looking to how much can we um, utilise the space when people are away from the stage and conversing or playing with things or you know, trying to work out problems together in mm. lunch and break times. Um, and we also do the breakfast and the after the show sort of activities as well to get people connected. But the salons um, are idea specific. So the big TED stage stuff is, is really varied across an entire, um, you know, big tech, emotional um, connection to humanity, social justice. Um, you might then look at environmental stuff or big data um, and science mm. and then the arts. And so it has a really big spread across all sorts yeah. of diversity. The salons, you get to go, right, we want to talk about plants. Yeah. Or we want to talk about science. We're going to just do the... And we want... So I did the, the one that I did most recently, and this was sex, love and relationships. Mm. So we talked really deeply about that for a night. And then we did another one about astrology. Um, and then there's another one about the sharing economy. Uh, another one about language. And so we have three speakers for that, but there's a lot more interaction between the organisation in terms of the people on stage, but also then the people in the room. And so that just... So this format is even more intimate and mm. even more connected to participation. So it's just lovely to be able to have different versions of different sorts of interactions that enable people to grow their own sense of what they can do rather than just talking about it. And so we're continuously talking in our, in our meetings about how we can help people do more, not just absorb more. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Love it, love it. As I start to tell in a, a podcast, I often ask people, so what have you learned about yourself recently? Mm. But it's difficult to ask you that because you've been asking me all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I can still answer the question. <laughs> but I'm still going to ask the question. Well, maybe I'll ask you the question. No. Um, oh. No, it's my podcast. I can say no from time to time. Um, so what have you really learned about yourself recently? I am far more an introvert than I realised. Mm. And I am a little bit more obsessed with economy than I realised as well. With the economy? Yeah. Mm. Like I'm a closet introvert and a closet economist. Right. <laughs> the uh, introvert will, yeah, that would be obvious given what's been going on. Yeah. That's all great. That's so obvious to me though. Yeah. Yeah. Like I really like it. Oh, it's... And that wasn't, I was spinning wheels, going fast, you know. Yeah. Um, and then in that November... That doesn't necessarily mean it's a natural state, does it? No, and I actually think it might have been a part of a mask for me. Hmm. And so um, I didn't really realise that hmm. as much. Because I'm still gregarious and, you know, out the going and I need people and I love all that. So I'm still definitely part of an, in, an extrovert, but I'm more introverted than I realised. Hmm. And I need more time to absorb and to process and to clean myself, you know, my neurology and my thinking and mm. the things that I've been stimulated by during the day. And if I don't get that opportunity um, to connect the dots and to clean, you know, and then, because you get information coming in, then you react to that information. But then I think we're missing the third step, which is a space to actually then be awesome. able to do something with that. Yeah. And then we're clean enough to be able to create something, which is yes. the fourth space. And so um, I've learned that about myself and I did not know that. Yes. I'm better when I'm quieter. Hmm. Is it you or is it, is that all of us going through the four steps and that? I, I cannot no answer idea. that yeah. on other people's behalf. You know, mm. if I was to guess, I think that's true for everybody. It just depends on how much. How much, yeah. Um, 
I think it would be really good if everyone slowed the fuck down. Yeah. It would be our new, going to be the title for this. Slow the fuck down. It has to have fuck in it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a good, yes! See, I've been toying with the idea that we should, for years to come, even when we come out of this, for years to come, we should always have a coronavirus fortnight when everything shuts down. <laughs> <laughs> coronavirus fortnight. Isn't that Christmas? No, because it doesn't. No, I know. No, because it doesn't. Used to. Yeah. You know, I said, uh, I said to someone recently that when I was at school, I used to love snow days because I liked the disruption. Because I was at a school where everything was like scheduled and done, scheduled and done, and da, da, da. So whenever that schedule, that regular pattern of life was disrupted, I used to love snow days. And then obviously snow days, not only at school, but then working in England as well. Those days when it like, came down, so I said, I can't get in the car, I can't come to work, can't do this and that. So this has just been brilliant. <laughs> I love disruption. Just like, stop. Just yeah. stop and then just do the things that are most important. Is, um, is art for you a key part of that mm. slowing the fuck down? Yeah, no, definitely. And doing something for just doing its sake, yeah. not because it necessarily has an outcome. Yeah, it's the thing that I sort of refuse to have a contract on. Um, so writing has a contract on it and the work that I do with behavioural change has a contract on it and art, however, if people want to commission me, they can commission me, but good luck with what, what will happen. You know, if, yeah, you're, yeah. if you're okay with the fact that it's going to turn out however it turns Time, out. Time, quality and all of that, yeah. Um, you know, just don't pay me if you don't like it. That's where I've gone to. And all the money goes to the orphanage anyway, so I... Yeah. Because I just don't want to, to exchange money for that right now. Yeah. It's a place where I don't have expectations or need to deliver hmm. or perform or... You know, that sort of thing. So for art for me is just, it really consumes that moment and it's hard to think of anything else. Mm. I love it. Present. Mm. Yeah. And doing things for just doing things sake. Yeah. Without it having to have this needed outcome. Mm. 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 If I do this, then I will get that. Yes. Yeah. Which I'm really grappling with for us all, I think, is we need to change that somehow. Mm. It's back to predictable outcomes yeah. and needing to know and control yeah. again, isn't yeah. it? And I do, I do, I do realise there's a place for it, but we've just gone to the extreme. Mm. It's another version of extremism. Mm. So the last question I ask all my guests nowadays, I don't know if I asked you this at that time, um, is if you could take one little nugget of information and drop it into the collective consciousness so everyone just gets it, what would that be? It's a lovely question. I'm going to repeat somebody else. This is what Christopher said to me when we were in Africa. Because mm. I said to him, you know, do you ever lose hope? Do you ever... Because I was just bawling my eyes out all the time. I cry all the time. Mm. And do you ever lose hope? And this man has lived and grown up in the slum. you know. And he said, very quietly, he just thought and he turned and he looked at me and he just said no and i was like how can you not you know i just couldn't access it no. i was just so you know how can you how can you of all people not lose hope and he said um because there's always the opportunity to do one thing about one thing mm. Mm. and that sat with me beautifully because it takes the pressure off needing to know everything. Yeah. And the ability to sort of think about that's always a, something that can be done, even if it's just one thing about one thing. 
and he didn't lose hope because he trusted and had faith that there was always just another tiny step to be taken. Mm. Yeah. And so just do one thing about one thing. Mm. That's having some big faith, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And faith is something we don't really dive into much when we're spinning the wheels really quickly. Exactly. And and to you know, faith can be about anything. Faith can be a universal faith, oh. it can be faith in myself, faith in my family, faith in God, you know, how, however you want faith to be. Yeah. Um, but faith is about trust ultimately and it's about something bigger than you. Yes. And I think we've idolised ourselves for so long. It's the first time in human history have we ever um, actually uh, thought ourselves as so responsible for both our successes and our failures. We have never worshipped ourselves before. This is the first time. Mm. Um, and so uh, it, there's this old <coughs> heritage in us, I think, that's worth calling upon a little bit. Mm. And that is about worshipping outside of ourselves. Yes. Um, to be able to maintain a deeper hope and connection outside our own importance. Mm. Yeah. I had a previous podcast guest, big, big, strong bloke who, right in the middle of coronavirus, was saying, he's from, originally from Iran, and um, he put it really eloquently, he said, if you haven't resolved your relationship with the man upstairs or something bigger than you right now, you're gonna be fucked. Yeah, yeah, it will be very confronting. <laughs> it will be very confronting. Yeah. If there's not something bigger than yourself in yeah. your life yeah. that you commune with. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's been awesome. Thank you, Bryn. If people wanna reach out and find the book, feel the love. Reach out and touch faith. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, get into Depeche Mode. Didn't even realise I was doing it. <laughs> I love it. There you go. Where can they find you? Just somewhere in the ether. Yeah, susanwalden.com. <laughs> is it .com or .au? Yeah, .com. Yeah. yeah. But there's a part of it that's like, whatever, I just hope yeah. this has been useful. Indeed. <laughs> You'll find me. Hey, look, evening. I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Thanks. And one of the things I've stopped doing with the podcast is uh, getting so het up on the outcome of things and enjoying the conversation. Yeah, good. It's been beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing it into the world. It's lovely. Hmm. Give us a hug. <laughs> We're going to deal with the microphone shit now. It's going to go.